The gospel this morning is from the book of John, chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. Here ends the lesson. Thank you. Our Older Testament lesson is recorded in our uh, prophet for today, Zechariah, and I'm going to read it out of the Bible. This is the New Revised Standard Version, which is, I think is the same as what you have there. Beginning um, chapter 11 at verse 4. Thus says the Lord my God, be a shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, kill them, and go unpunished. And those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord. I will cause them, every one, to fall each into the hand of a neighbor and each into the hand of a king. And they shall devastate the earth. And I will deliver no one from their hand. So on behalf of the sheep merchants, I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. I took two staffs. One I named Favor. The other I named Unity. And I tended the sheep. In one month, I disposed of the three shepherds. For I had become impatient with them. And they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another. I took my staff favor and broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep merchants who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then said to them, it, if it seems right to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. So they weighed out as my wages 30 shekels of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it into the treasury, this lordly price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver and threw them into the treasury in the house of the Lord. Then I broke my second staff, unity, annulling the family ties between Judah and Israel. Judah being the country in the south and Israel being the country in the north when they divided. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the implements of a worthless shepherd. For I am now raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for the perishing or seek the wandering or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy. 
but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. O my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock, may the sword strike his arm in his right eye. Let his arm be completely withered, his right eye utterly blinded. This is the statements from Zechariah. Not exactly gospel in all senses of the word, but very much in keeping with our gospel for today and where that came from. Grace to you and peace from our God and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. I thank you for the privilege of coming here, returning to Plymouth United Church of Christ, the church that my grandmother, the one I was talking about, Bess, who raised me, attended. And thanks to uh, Reverend David Huber, I think, for leaving me to preach on what is termed the most difficult and obscure of prophets, (laughs) Zechariah, not to be confused with Zephaniah or Ezekiel or Zacchaeus, Zechariah. To undertake the, the study, I want to start out with a few things. Zechariah and his contemporary Haggai are the ones we will work on today, mostly Zechariah. They were both contemporaries, though, and had the same mission, pretty much, of preserving Jerusalem and the temple and keeping the wall from going around the temple. So those are kind of key. First, I am going to reiterate what a prophet was as he lived in a certain time. You probably had some of that back in June, but that was a long time ago. Um, They lived in a certain time period for a certain reason. We do not have that kind of prophet today. We have prophetic people, but we do not have prophets. Today, we have prophetic voices, but those people we're speaking of, the prophets from this certain time period in the Bible, were, co- were called by God, were commissioned by God as prophets specifically. I'll explain that later. Second, I am going to attempt, I'm going to attempt to unravel the purpose of the message of Zechariah. But I warn you, even the greatest of theologians are left to ponder what he really said. Even Karl von Rod, or Gerhard von Rod, a famous German scholar, and this is a translation of his book called The Message of the Prophets, even he did not want to attempt to explain Zechariah totally. And third, I am going to focus on the gospel fruition, the one that you just, or you just read, about the Good Shepherd come in and how it came into the gospel of John as prophesied and explained in Zechariah. We just heard those comparison readings, and there are other comparisons. For instance, there's a comparison of Jesus riding, or there's a man riding into Jerusalem to save Jerusalem on a baby donkey. And we get that text also in the gospel. So there are other comparisons. Okay, what is a prophet? What is a prophet? According to the strict rule of theology, prophets arose during a certain time period to help the people, to help the people who had in many ways gone astray. They had a call from God, and according to the great prophet scholar Gerhard von Rod, this book, here's what he says. At the time of Yahwehism, when it was beginning and being increasingly undermined, Yahweh was able to reemerge with almost volcanic force in a completely new form, 
in the message of the prophets. So the prophets had a specific function to bring back worship of Yahweh, which was waning at the time. What are the common factors in the message of the prophets? Prophets were rooted in religious tradition. They were not priests, but they were rooted in tradition. Prophets had an intense view of the future given to them by God. And prophets saw God as coming to right the sins of the house of Judah. And remember, that's the one in the south. And the sentence of death to Israel in the north. While proclaiming judgment, they instituted new talk of salvation. So they were salvific too. Prophets served, and when I was, I took a whole course on prophets at the seminary. And it was wonderful because it brought it down to our level. The professor I had, Professor Thronvite, Mark Thronvite, talked about prophets as being living letters. Isn't that a wonderful way of looking at it? To the people of Israel and Judah, when they divided in 922 CBE, before, uh, or BCE, before the Common Era or before Christ. These messengers, as Karl von Rad claims in his book, The Message of the Prophets, it's called, were called, were commissioned, and they were sent specifically to Israel and some to Judah. Since oral communication was the means of reaching people then, so we have oral communication, God first did use angels. We have experiences of angels in the Older Testament, and we have experience of angels in the Newer Testament when Jesus was born. We know that they were the announcers. They were the messengers. But at this particular time, angels were out. Prophets were in. And again, later in that Christ nativity scene, we have the uh, messengers changed to angels. However, during the period of the history of Israel, God sent out those from divine counsel, the heavenly host, to deliver the word to the people. These prophets, now these were frenzied people. They were all excited, and they didn't particularly like their job, but they were called, they were commissioned, and they went out kind of like pastors. You know, They don't always like their job, but there they are. They have to do it. They took the word of God and stood in the tradition of God's saving grace to these people while announcing doom to them for their not obeying God's covenant with them. For they're replacing this relationship they had with God with idols, with other gods like Baal, and forgetting the promise that God was with them and God would go with them. The word Emmanuel in Hebrew, God with us. Oracles were diatribes of doom, exhortations, and you'll see in some Bibles, I actually have one that says, the oracle, the exhortation. Oracles were diatribes of doom, exhortations spoke of promise, promise, the promise of God. The reluctant prophet pointed out that their other God worship had led them away from the Sinai tradition. Remember, these were people... Prophets were people in the tradition, and not only that, but from Moses' commandments as he received them from God. They had abandoned God to material, visible gods and had turned to immorality. So they really got on their case. They were in a broken relationship with God. The prophets rose, these prophets, many of them, and you've heard about many of them already, 
rose to the specific occasion to combat. Now, here's the important part. They came up to combat the kings who had inherited the focal point of earthly power rather than God, Yahweh. As kings flourished, prophets flourished all the more. The more kings and the more courts and the more you had over here, the more prophets that came out. These nabis, N-A-B-I, as they were called, the called ones, were indeed messengers to a certain people in a particular time. The prophet's message was a particular living letter, as I said. It was like a letter. It had a formula, just like if you went to school and you learned how to write a letter, you learned about, you had to put your in, the address, the inside address, the date, the greeting, the body, the conclusion, and sign it. That's what these living letters from the prophets were, and they all kind of come out the same way as you read the different ones. Some are a little different, but basically they have an introduction. They, these were words of woe and warning. They have accusation. These people had turned from Yahweh. And then they have this formula. You can always tell when God is about to speak. You might say, well, when is God speaking and when is the prophet speaking? There's, there's a formula for that. When God speaks, it says, thus says the Lord. That's what the prophet says. Thus says the Lord. And then you hear the words that the Lord is saying to the people. So that's the formula for that. And the Lord has, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. There was always an out. In other words, the if. There was always an out for people. Uh, and if you didn't do this, here's the judgment. Here's the judgment against you. And, of course, Israel had already received the judgment when, in the, uh, when they were uh, sent to Egypt. A concluding characterization in the living letter is the promise. And that comes with two words, fear not. Fear not. That's the promise by God. Restoring wholeness to the whole creation. Fear not. This is what I'm going to do. Then there were specific themes in these letters. The most frequent one is justice and righteousness for the poor. You'll often hear it described as the orphan and the widow, which means all of those who are poor. It's not just the orphan and just the widow, but all of the poor. But those are the specific ones. When a woman became a widow, she was just nothing. When an orphan, when a child became an orphan, he was nothing. There was no one to claim or take care of these two people. And there are many other instances. A savior on a donkey riding into the city, the capital. I suppose we have issues now after the last convention. What the capital of you know, Jerusalem, we think, is. Um, shepherd uh, coming into Jerusalem on this donkey. So it's had a long history. In these living letters, the word came unbidden. These prophets didn't want to do this. They did not want to do this. It was unwanted by these ordinary, these were ordinary folks turned prophets, just like some people are pastors who were ordinary folks and kind of called and not really always liking the call because there are things they really don't want to do, but they have to do it because they are called by God. Most of them were upset at being called, and there's a wonderful example of being upset by these prophets. This one is Isaiah, the famous one. 
in chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Here's what he says. In the year of King Uzziah, now here's the king coming up, and here's the prophet. I said, here's what, here's what Isaiah said. I said, woe is me. I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts, a different king. The seraph touched my mouth with a live coal and said, and that's how it felt to him, now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Okay, a guilt trip. Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And you know this one. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And that's kind of the way it was. It wasn't, Here I am, send me. It was, Here I am. I have this burning coal on my tongue, and I know I have to do this. Send me. That would have been a great song for today, too. That's not exactly a well-received invitation from God, hot coals on a tongue and burning it. Prophets were not, by vocation, theologians, as they did not answer specific questions about God. These messengers were indeed not, and some people call them this, they weren't predictors, they weren't poets, even though they wrote poetically, nor were they magicians or any of these things we come to associate with the word prophet in modern circles. On occasion, a prophet would preach salvation, but that was not the usual prophetic announcement until the time of the exile, when judgment had already occurred, as I mentioned earlier, and they were sent to Egypt. He delivered bad news in his letters, in these living letters. It was a bad news letter. You know, it was like the uh, Iraqi veteran or the Iraqi person, and you get a letter. It was that kind of news that he did not make it. It was a bad news letter. But wrapped it with the God or Yahweh, what God or Yahweh had done for these people through history. So you get all of this history of God did this for you, God did that for you, God, God, God. That was what the message was. The message of judgment was not one of abandonment. This is really important. The message of judgment was not one of abandonment. For God would be with them even in their suffering as he is with us. That's an important message even today. All the suffering we have, God is always with us, suffering with us. And he would bring them through all of this suffering as he will bring us through all of our suffering to salvation. The prophet stood in the tradition and was the word of Yahweh to the people. As a modern preacher attempts to tell what God is doing in the text, attempts to, as I say, prophets could actually announce that God was doing in context in their lives what exactly he was doing. However, it was clear that they knew that there was no hope for their nation. The prophet made that clear. If, the big if, the two-letter word, they were not called to reform, but to deliver God's word. The prophets, the, I'm talking about the prophets, were not called to reform, but to deliver God's word at an appointed time when the political arena, and that's like kings and courts, had influenced the people away from Yahweh, God. 
They didn't even particularly like their call, as I mentioned, but they did want to be these living letters for God. God had duly called and commissioned them without their assent and put a creative power, and this is what a prophet is, a creative power of the divine word in their mouths after he put the coals in the mouths, or she, in their mouths and mannerisms, changing them from shepherds. Many of them were shepherds and from other vocations to be ambassadors for Yahweh, for God. The prophet was God's medium, that living letter for reaching the hearts of God's people. And contrary to other positions, like the king or the priest, a prophet's position was not inherited. Kings and priests, believe it or not, priests then too, inherited their position. A prophet was a charismatic There were no women priests. There were no women kings. Now, there were queens in some places, but there were no women priests. But there were women prophets. And, of course, the Bible leaves most of women out of the Bible, so we don't know those prophets as well. But there were women prophets, too. In the case of Elijah and Elisha, you know, you often hear, well, Elisha inherited that call. No. Elisha did not inherit gifts of prophecy. The charisma was transferred. That mantle was passed. That's how Elisha became a prophet. With the review of our prophetic time up against inherited kingships, those kingships and people turning away from God, Yahweh, to idol worship, enters, yet today, another prophet and on wanting to be prophet, Zechariah, and his counterpart, Haggai. Zechariah has a whole bunch of visions. And one of the visions I was quite curious about in when he starts out, he starts out with these horses. If you've read it, he starts out with the red horse and the painted, the dappled horse and the black horse. He has four horses going different directions. Well, I have at home a Lakota Indian picture of those horses going different directions and it's a Lakota Indian tradition. Interesting that we have those views in different cultures. Anyway, Zechariah had all these different visions and I am not going to try to interpret them. Now these were visions, not dreams. When we think of the revelation of John, that was a dream. That was one man's dream and people make it into all kinds of things, but it was one man's dream. I am not going to attempt to interpret them, all of the visions he had in just a short time, nor could I probably. Um, What I want to do is to share the text from Zechariah that came forward into the Gospels, as we read, and specifically where we draw this image of the good shepherd as opposed to just any shepherd. You notice it's not the shepherd, it's the good shepherd So it's not just any shepherd, and as opposed to a bad shepherd, and we heard plenty about the bad shepherd in both of these texts. Zechariah is messianic in that he announces the Messiah coming and a second coming. In chapter 9, a different kind of king coming on a baby donkey that again appears in Matthew's gospel and John's gospel. So that's where they got this from. Again, In chapter 12, Zechariah talks, God pouring, and this is quote, 
God pouring out God's spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David and its inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that when they look on the one whom they have pierced, interesting wording here, they shall mourn for him. So that piercing of Jesus' side comes from Zechariah too. It also focuses on this shepherd business. We have read chapter 11, verses 4 through 17. This is where Jesus is not just our shepherd. He is the good shepherd. That means that there is an opposite. When you have a good, there has to be a bad, right? A bad shepherd. This is the prophet's call, the prophet's commissioning, warning as he cries out, thus says the Lord, so we're getting ready, For what the Lord is going to say, thus says the Lord, it's not the prophet speaking, that formula in the living letter. First, the warning that inhabitants will fall prey to the earthly shepherd in good shepherd's clothing. It will look just like the good shepherd, but it's not. He's not there to help you. He's there to pull you over to idols and to destroy you. And we heard how he's going to destroy and pull the hoofs off and all. But this good shepherd here is not willing to see the flock slaughtered. This good shepherd. He carries not one, but two staffs. Two shepherd's hooks. You know, you might have those in your yard. They call them shepherd's hooks. He carried two, not just one. One was named Favor. He breaks it, symbolizing breaking the covenant with the people. That was the covenant, the shepherd's hook, symbol of the covenant. The sheep merchants paid wages to the shepherd, 30 shekels. Then the good shepherd broke the second hook, unity. So we've got one that's favor and one that's unity. We no longer have favor with God, and now the unity is broken. This did away with any ties between Judah in the south and Israel in the north. Then he points out to the worthless shepherd, the bad shepherd. He cares not for the dying or those who have gone astray, the injured, those healthy but hungry. He kills even the good sheep, rendering them slaughtered by tearing off their hoofs. Pretty gruesome sight, you must admit. Then the oracle, the warning. The Lord's word concerning Israel, thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, then the whole flock of evil, horrible things will come to Israel and Judah, will, and Judah will prevail, for this is what the Lord inflicts on those who do not worship. Here it is, going up to the festival of the booze. They were, you know, they were all upset about, they had this big event, the festival of the booze, which you probably heard. People weren't going to that. So this was the warning. These are the warnings of Zechariah, this living letter from God, to get the people and repent and turn back to God worship. Haggai, Zechariah's contemporary, works with him to keep the post-exile Israelites to continue rebuilding that temple of God. This is their whole mission here. They get the same lame excuses as we often give (laughs) for not doing things. Listen to this. It isn't the right time. This isn't the way we used to be and do things. We don't see enough results. There's too much opposition. The two prophets criticize the people for building really nice homes for themselves and leaving God's house in ruins. 
Remember, it got destroyed. Haggai, through the living letter, finally got through to them, and the temple of God and worship were rebuilt and restored in four years. Zechariah's message, along with the same line in these weird visions, he was along the same line as this, but is also a call to commissioning via the living letter to rebuild and place a place of worship for God. And Zechariah, Zech goes a little farther. He was working on not having a wall around Jerusalem. Obviously, that did not go well. (laughs) To this day, we have the argument regarding where Israel's capital is, as we heard in the convention. And we do have a wall. Been a wall there for a long time. So Zechariah's living letters made their way to Matthew's and John's imaging of God, the God we worship. Most vivid is the suffering Messiah appearing on a donkey, then imaged as the good shepherd. The Gospel of John spends much time on the good shepherd, that image gleaned from Zechariah's living letter to the people so long ago in Israel. The good shepherd has a message. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's what Jesus does for us. The bad shepherd in the gospel is the hired hand, the one who inherited. Remember the kings inherited, the priests inherited? And bought care. Interesting. Just as Zechariah talks of Judah and the others in God's care also, the good shepherd notes that he is not just there for the Israeli sheep. This is important. He has others who are not of this fold. So when we think we're just all by ourselves and God is just for us, listen to this. He wants those people from the other fold, the sheep from the other fold too. He wants to stop the Zechariah vision of two staffs from being broken, the one of favor and the one of unity. And finally... Prophets appeared to be bearers of bad news, but that was the if leading to the good news. The good news of a good shepherd who suffers with, goes with, and ultimately lays down his life that we, even to this day, might have eternal life with this God of history who communicated for a time through prophets, living letters. Ultimately, there will be one flock, one shepherd, a good shepherd. All peoples will come together with one God for all, a God who lays down his life for each one of us. There is no longer a them, for we are all one in God, whom we know, whom we know, through the Savior riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey, as visioned by our living letter, Zechariah. Amen.